Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. It's a great day at Inspiring People and Places. This is your host, BJ Kramer, and we are back with another exciting guest from the AEC industry, but his path has taken him on to a, a new journey, which we will get into. I'm excited to welcome Stephen Mezzacapa to the show. Stephen came to us through our good friend and colleague, Jesse Gemberling Johnson, who worked with Stephen at Turner Construction, where he was talking to us about his former mission or, or most recent employment, Engineers in Action. Join me in welcoming Stephen to the show. Steve, how are we doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me, BJ. Pleasure to be on with you and excited for our conversation today. Yeah, me too. First, I'm, I'm going to start out by saying Steve just finished a book. The book is called Passion with Purpose, The Fire Within, Building a Life of Fulfillment, Destiny, and Impact. And we are going to get into that a little bit later, but he is giving away a free copy. So we're going to figure out how, how we're going to compete that out. I'm sure it's going to be something around likes and comments on our LinkedIn page or something like that. So people look out for that. Stephen was kind enough to share it with me. And before the show, I said I got to peruse it, but I didn't get to read it yet because I do a lot of my reading by listening in the car. So Stephen's also promised a free audio book to me and to one of our loyal listeners. So stay tuned for that. And now we get to dig in. So Steve, I, I mentioned that we we met through Jesse Gemberling Johnson. You guys work together at Turner, but all shows must start with you building a little bit of rapport and a little bit of background with our audience. So talk to us about how you how you ended up working in the built environment. Yeah, thanks, BJ. So from you know, my dad was a was a residential builder growing up at Staten Island, Staten Island, New York. So from an early age, I just had this passion for construction and just this hunger to just to build. You know, so as early as eighth grade, you know, I, I kind of initially knew I wanted to build high rise buildings and high rise construction. And from an early age, I, you know, I had my eyes set on Turner Construction. So throughout high school, you know, I was kind of starting to build up a resume to pursue that career, went into Penn State, majoring in architectural engineering. And as early as my freshman year, I, I landed an internship with Turner in their Philly office. And I went on to do four consecutive internships with Turner. One of them was in it with their international office in Mexico City on a 50 story high rise building. And that was my that was my dream. And to be able to have experienced that at 22 years old was amazing. And I actually talk about the outcome of that in, in my book, which I'm sure we'll dive into. But I always had this passion to build. I loved construction. I loved working with people. You know, I, I thought I wanted to do structural engineering for a little bit, but it was the passion for people that really led me to really focus in on construction management. I went on to work with Turner Construction for five years, full time out of school. I worked on a pharmaceutical project, early, first project out of school. And then within a year and a half, I got the opportunity to do business development for Turner's Pittsburgh office. And that was a, another another dream. You know, once I knew I wanted to do construction, I realized I really wanted to get in the business development side of things. And, you know, how do you really build a, a you know a sustainable business model? And, and that passion drew me to that. So I did that for a few years. But while this was all happening, 
I was still very involved in, in the community. I, I volunteered for an organization called Engineers in Action um, throughout my, my school years at Penn State. And this organization designs and builds pedestrian bridges in Bolivia and Africa. And that experience was monumental in informing my leadership philosophy on life, my spiritual life, and even my approach to construction management. So as I was working full time, you know, I was working for Turner, but I spent my vacation time volunteering for Engineers in Action. And then after you know, a few years working with Turner, um, Engineers in Action had approached me once they knew I was doing business development for Turner saying, hey, we need a development. We need to grow our fundraising capacity. Are you interested? And I was like, this is really tough. You know, both. I've been loving being a volunteer. I've been working for Turner, which was a dream since I was in eighth grade. It's a really hard decision. They planted some seeds. And then after a year of wrestling with it, I, I took the leap and went on to serve as a development director for Engineers Action for about a year and a half. And while this was yeah. all going on, there was more tension in my soul, the entrepreneurship journey. And this idea of living a life about passion and purpose and doing what authentically sets you on fire. So this was all stirring in the background in my heart and my soul. And now finally, I took another leap to really step into this path that I feel God has called me into, focusing on leadership development, leadership coaching, and, and more. Quite the journey in a pretty compact career so far. I, I want to kind of connect the dots between Bridges to Prosperity and Engineers in Action because we, we talked about Bridges to Prosperity and, and interviewed Nivi Sharma, I, I want to say last July. So talk to us about, I, I remember there being some awesome. kind of connection between the two. Yes. So, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too. So the connection is, so back when I was at Penn State, uh, so Bridges to Prosperity has been around since I believe 2006, it's been around for a long time. And as early as 2006 or 2009, I have my years wrong, they had a university program of Bridges to Prosperity. Back when I was a student at Penn State, it was still the Bridges to Prosperity University chapter. And then in, in 2018, okay. the university program got acquired by Engineers in Action. So Engineers in Action that designs and builds the same bridges at Bridges to Prosperity, but has taken on the university engagement component of it. Got it. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So you, you, you mentioned tension and stirring your soul and, and fulfillment and feeling on fire. Talk to us about what was going on in your head and, and what the process has been to one, write the book and, and probably cathartically get all of those thoughts and tensions organized and out there in the world. And two, how you've been able to kind of launch yourself into this leadership, writing, coaching world. Definitely. Yeah, there's a lot I could get into. So feel free to, to jump in when, when you want. Let's so go. We'll, it, it, we'll go back and <laughs> forth, I'm sure. I love it. You know, it's really interesting because I think about fulfillment and purpose on a daily basis. I, I think one of the biggest issues plaguing society today is this hunger and pursuit of purpose. And we have to look at what does purpose have actually even look like? How do you define it? Well, we'll get to that a little later. But as early as being a young kid, I, I just had this desire to be an author. Even before I wanted to be a builder, I wanted to be an author. I took my spirituality very serious. I went to Catholic elementary school, Catholic high school. I thought I wanted to be a priest. But then once I found I couldn't get married, then I was like, I don't want to be a priest. But spirituality was always very important to me. I, I bring this all up because, you know, as I was pursuing this dream of, of building buildings, God was doing other things in my life that I just didn't realize at the time, right? And, you know, what, what kind of happened, I, I had this tunnel vision in my life I want to build buildings around the world. And that's just what I want to do. I want to, I want to be doing corn shell on buildings in Dubai, in London, around the world. And, you know, when I was doing my, my last internship before getting ready to go to my fifth year of school, 
the dream happened. I was working on a 50-story high-rise in, in Mexico City. And I went through this experience where I just, I, I didn't feel fulfilled from that. And, and it really, it really caused some tension and some issues in my, in my mental health. And because I was, I just couldn't figure out why that, why that was going on. You know, I, I live, this is what I've been wanting. You know, I came back from in that internship and there's conversations with Turner at the time. And they say, Hey, if you want to go back to international, we'll, we'll make it happen. So think like anything you would have ever wanted your whole life for 15 years, you're working on pursuing this, this dream, this call, what you believe is this calling. And then staring it in the face and saying, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. It, it was a kind of, it was, it was really tough to wrestle with. So my fifth year of school, I had a lot of questioning and actually struggled with some depression and some anxiety through that and from other things previously in life, which we could get into later too. And, you know, so I didn't really know how to, how to deal with it, you know? So I, so I started my career and, and still enjoyed it, but there's still this urge of addressing this question of why did I not feel fulfilled? Why was I chasing that purpose? What were the real motives going on? You know? So as I answered, was as I was addressing a lot of these questions, I started to really dig deep into the foundations of my faith and motives and my behaviors and why all that came to be. And a lot of the answers from that journey came together and became the book that it is today. And in my book, I address passion and purpose specifically. And I, and I make this phrase, and whenever I sign a book, I always comment the phrase, don't follow passion, build passion. And that's what I did for most of my life. I blindly followed my passion to build and didn't stop incrementally to check in with myself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, to know like, God, is this what you really want me to do? Or am I just going to do something because I want to go do it? Am I medicating some past traumas in my life with this ambitious goal that I have? I didn't, I didn't do those things. And when I realized that passion is a lot, there's a lot more depth to passion than just a hobby you do, things just clicked. I, I now define passion as an energy within you that needs to be cultivated, needs to be nurtured. And, you know, it's not about what you do in life. It's not about your career or your status. When it comes to living a fulfilling life, it's all about being motivated by a healthy passion and energy inside of you. And the question that all of us need to ask ourselves is, what's feeding my passion? What is the fuel for it? Is it the unhealthy aspects of society? Is it the healthy aspects of society? For me, I came to the realization that for me to have a fulfilling life, it's all about how do I nurture my passion, my soul, with the spirit of truth and my, my faith background. And that's a challenge I, I challenge everyone with is ask yourself, like when you're doing something and you're motivated by something, what, what is, what are you feeding your passion? With, right. And I think, and this has led to leadership because throughout my career, I've worked alongside amazing leaders, but I've also worked alongside sick leaders. And when I say sick leaders leading with a passion, but not necessarily a healthy passion, you know, and we could, we could go much deeper into that, but, when I, after I wrote my first book, I realized, you know, this isn't necessarily just a Christian self-help book. It's really a leadership book about how do you actually, how do you lead yourself? And that's what's launched me into Passion with Purpose now as a full business venture. And first addressing this question of how do you help people lead yourself? Organizations and companies spend tens of millions, billions of dollars a year on leadership training. But how much of that leadership training is about leading others versus how much of it is about leading yourself? If we can't lead ourselves, how can we reach our potential of leading others around us. Because how we lead, like, if we're sick, we can make others sick. That's, but we'll save that for in, in a few minutes because we can go deeper there too. Uh, <laughs> there's a hundred things we could go deep on that you just hit on. Yes. All right. So uh, here are the questions. I'll, I'll try to keep these organized because there's, there's, there's a lot to peel back in every 
piece of this journey you took and and your realizations, the questions you were asking, you evaluating what was going on. Let's start with the fact that you had a passion or this interest or this childhood dream to build skyscrapers. And maybe it came from being in Long Island and seeing big buildings in New York. Maybe it came from having a father who was a builder, probably a combination of those two things. And probably a combination that I, I, I have girls and boys, they both enjoy building things. So I think that there's, there's an interest from everybody to build. Is there any chance that we just romanticize what that looks like from a career path? And, and here's where I'm going, or, or from a content of a career, meaning there's a lot of things out there that people look around and say, oh, I wish I had that job. I wish I was an NFL quarterback. I wish I was an NFL coach. I wish I was an architect designing the biggest buildings in the world. I wish I had a farm. And then they then they actually experience the day-to-day work of that life and they see it's a lot more suffering than prestige. Could that be and and here's here's the question is like how well first answer that question was it was the realization like wait a second the day to day of this of this career path i'm about to go on is actually not that fulfilling to me for sure i would say a combination of what you mentioned I, I would say i was addicted to build it bigger on a discovery channel growing up and i will say build it bigger was not what it's like in in the trenches in the field um, so there definitely was that presence too of not realizing the challenging and suffering here. But that kind of goes along with the societal, cultural message that's put out. Follow your passion. You'll always be happy. And and I feel like it's actually dangerous advice for people. I think we need to expect adversity and suffering in life and learn how to manage that. Because if I, now granted, I'm happy with how everything came because I feel God's been leading me on this journey for a reason. But if I was to go back in Mexico, 22 years old, all by myself, not I'm like six out of 10 in proficiency in speaking Spanish, working on the highs. There's a lot of mental challenges going on. there, Right. And, you know, I was 22. I, I didn't really have that ability to really wrestle with that adversity as much. And, and I think it's important for people, whatever career you're going into, to realize that there is going to be some more suffering than prestige. The question you have to ask yourself, though, is like, are you OK with that? Like if, if I feel as though if you're called to go do a career. And I think, and if you meet suffering along the way, I think you'll, you'll will through it. But if there's a piece of you that's questioning, if this is what I'm meant to do, I think it puts you in a position where it's really hard to push through that. And I think that's what I've walked through the last five years of my life. Cause I think all this time, God's been wanting me to do this thing, passion with purpose and lead people and coach people. And, you know, so I feel when, whenever you're on a career path that you have, you're starting to question even beyond the day to day of it, it's something to really wrestle with yourself. So, all right, I, I I just wrote down purposeful suffering. I don't think that you said that specifically, but yes. as you're talking about it, I I go back to my days at West Point, and I remember my my mom and dad listened to the show, so they were going to correct me how often this went on, but it was pretty regular. I was like, I don't know that this is for me. And this, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're watching everybody else around you 
you know, that you grew up with, go to college at a regular school and have fun and in whatever their path was. And you're crazy to not think this isn't fun or is this really for me? How do you, how do you balance walking away from something versus walking through something in that evaluation, especially the younger you are. And, and I bring that up because, you know, whether, whether it's a generational consistent, uh, you know, we're better than they were, these kids don't know, how, you know, whether it's that kind of just global, but like there is truth that you got to walk through and navigate some crap in life to get better. If you go to the gym once and you get sore the next day and you never go back to the gym, you're not getting any stronger. And the same goes for everything. You know, if if you take and, and and I agree that leaders play a huge part in this, just like coaches play a huge part in and all of that. So we're gonna get to that. But as somebody who's a little younger than a lot of our audience that's been navigating this, how do you say somebody somebody knows what what is purposeful suffering versus to use your words, God's, God's telling me not to walk through this door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a good question. And the phrase that kind of comes to mind, and I think about this a lot, is being able to discern when it's time to quit or it's time to persist. And, I, and for me, there's definitely a spiritual discernment process in that. As a Christian myself, I, I need to humble myself to where I think God's leading me and do my best to discern those self-leadership decisions of, do I stay? Do I go? Do I persist through it? And I think, you know, and if you're not a Christian, that's fine. I think another way of looking at it is by, you know, looking at the context of the situation, not simply doing a pros and cons of should I stay in this or should I go through it, but looking at the context, your journey up to that point, where you're at, what's going on in that situation. Are there people in your life that could pour into you to help you get through this? Or are you in an environment that's toxic and you just have to go? And also go as into... What is your sanctified daydreaming look like? Where where do you where is your what is your vision and where are you going? Is what you're in right now going to contribute and help get there or not? And I, and I think that I think it comes with wisdom, perspective, and experience of knowing when it is purposeful suffering or if it's wasteful suffering. But I still say that with a little bit because I believe God will use everything. For example, like I I, I knew pretty quickly after starting my career. In turn, that I, I was like, I think God's got something else. But I'm so thankful, so thankful that I that I persisted, because everything in the last five, six, seven years is being used right now more than I would have ever thought. As an example, my my first, I'll go a little deeper here. So I got the opportunity to work with Turner. I could have went international. I could have went to Philly, which I ended up doing. But I went through so much challenges with mental health my last year of school that I decided let me start my career in Philly. I know the business, the business unit extremely well. I have friends. I'm going to be in community with people. That's going to help me kind of overcome what I was dealing with. A week before I start, I found out my job assignment is going to be in the Poconos, not in Philadelphia. And I go, oh, no. And nothing against the Poconos if you love the Poconos. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, did it, I, I, I didn't want to pursue international because I didn't want to be in isolation. I wanted to be in community because I, I feel like community is food for the soul. And I was doing a good job overcoming where I was at. But going into the Poconos in isolation and 
and doing what I just dealt with, it was really rough. And I will tell you the mental health that I struggled with the year and a half that I was in the Poconos was 10 times worse than I dealt with at school. And it was rough. But when I come back and kind of what I mentioned earlier, looking at context, the second thing I mentioned was who was in your life at that point? I had four roommates that were amazing and they were kind of angels in disguise for me through that experience. And I tell you, if I, if I left that, that job, if I left that career, who knows what would have happened in my, my career? I really don't know. But persisting and staying in it when I knew deep down I had to stay because just spiritually just made sense. I persisted. I got a call from Pittsburgh like a year and a half in saying, hey, you want to come do business development here? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is something, a dream that I wanted. And, it, and that happened. So if I left anytime soon, that wouldn't have happened. And not only that, I wouldn't have met my wife because we met in Pittsburgh. So ah, there's there so go. much depth to this idea of purposeful suffering. And I think the only way, just saying as, as a Christian, it's, it's a spiritual experience. I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus and what he had to do for, from a Christian biblical perspective, to, for, like he had to suffer immensely. And that's what I talk about in the very beginning of my book. And it's the whole purpose of my book is to get people to realize passion isn't about you. Your life isn't about you. People benefit from your suffering, whether that's a future family member, a family member in the present or, or career. Your suffering is not just about building you up, but it's about building you into a person that can empathize with people in ways that you wouldn't be previously. Like my whole perspective on leadership, relationships, it would not be what it is today if I didn't persist through those challenging times early in my career. And I think folks young, I think everyone goes to that. No one prepares you from that tr transition from college to career. There, there is, there's no, and I'm probably going to lean into that with my programming, but there's not as much guidance. And, and I think there's so much uncertainty now and social media is just making it even tougher for young folks and young professionals to, to look at this. And I think leaders in, in organizations need to be aware. And if I, one thing I've noticed over the past year is the amount of women leaders starting to rise even more so. And I think one of the reasons that's happened is because women are natural nurturing leaders. And I believe that is one element of leadership and organization that's really needed in society today. I think people just need to be nurtured deeply. Oh, boy. You and I are going to go back and forth on a couple of these things. All right. So as you were talking, I wrote down Steve Jobs because he talks about can't, can't connect the dots backwards in his, uh, his speech at Stanford graduation. So it's hard to know, is what I'm doing leading to a future? Because to your point, who knows what, what this path is that's laid out for, for us. You talked about discerning quitting versus persisting through. And, and one of the things that came to my mind is something somebody told me once, is that are you running away from this or are you running to something else, right? And it sounds like you've been running to where you're at. So it was kind of easier to know that there was, there was something that everything was leading towards. And, and I say that because I, I, don't want, I don't want this message to get mixed up, right? The, the hitting the easy button and saying, I'm out of there, quote, it's a toxic culture because a manager's holding me accountable is not a toxic culture. Mm -hmm. It's a tough manager or, or it's a good manager that's helping you get better. They're actually the manager you want because they're, they're not letting you skate by so that 20 years from now, nobody ever held you accountable and you're not good at anything. Very, very different than, hey, you know what? I, 
I, I recognize this experience for what it was. You know, I think that this door over here is the next door for me to walk through. I think that's a, it's a balancing act of, and, and so, so I, what I'm asking you, I'm going to tee you up here is what was your discernment process? Because many times I've heard, well, if I had more money, I would go do X, Y, or Z. And money is this like permanent excuse for not doing something else. And, and you know, I think we're going to get into leadership and maybe some transactional leadership is all about, you know, all about the Benjamins, as they say. So talk to me about discerning and how did you separate yourself from the financial burden of, you know, the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial launching your own platform? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So for me, the discernment process, I've, I've always been a humble person and it's, it feels weird. I always feel weird saying that because it's, I feel like it's not a humble thing to say you're a humble person, but I'm, I'm always eager to get advice from people. I, I know, I always know I never had the answers. I always approach situations with the, with the stance of maybe I'm wrong, right? Not to a fault because you could have that kind of mindset to a fault, but I was always hungry and eager for other folks. But you have to, again, you have to balance that too, right? This pursuit of advice. But, you know, I, I had a great, great relationship with my parents and, you know, I was constantly on the phone with them and they encouraged and empowered me in profound ways when I was in that, like if I'm looking at it from the time when I was in the Poconos and persisting through that, that first job, that was one thing. So I, I think leaning on family helps. You get some sound advice, but, you know, not everyone is blessed in that situation to have parents that could be giving sound advice too, you know? So I also relied on on a, on a counselor and that was huge, a professional counselor. And I think people should pursue some counsel and find a counselor you feel comfortable with because that you trust, you know? I, so I think the relationships I had with people really helped me discern, but it was also the context of the situation. You know, it was like, what am I going to do? For example, I just, I finally just made the, the decision to take the leap to go in on this business and passion with purpose. If I did this back you know, seven years ago when I'm 23, you know, I had a lot of leadership experience in college, a lot, but not a lot of professional experience yet. It would have been a big mistake and it probably would have been a disaster. <laughs> so, but, it, and I had people give me, planting those seeds and give me that realization to help me kind of understand that. And I said, but at the end of the day, it came to the question of if I just left, what was I going to do? And when I looked at the, what that picture looked like, the uncertainty and challenge was worse than the present moment in a way, right? To help with that. And, and now as I've finally gotten to this place to go to something, I, I feel as though God has been kind of preparing me and healing me along the way. Because I think another way to discern the process is to look at yourself healthy. And again, I was working with a counselor at the time and, and he told me, he's like, look, stats show that, you know, kind of like you said, BJ, people are, are you running from something or you're running to something? And if you run from something, you go to another job, it might be good for you, but then you're going to run again and again and again, right? So stick it out, heal or run and keep having that and bringing that pain with you. And I feel as though over the last seven years, I think God has brought me to a place of, of healing where I could really see and assess where I'm at mentally and emotionally healthy and the organizational environment I'm in. And I think now became the time clear to pursue this entrepreneurship journey. And it really wouldn't be possible without my wife and, and how supportive she has been because we've been, we've been together for over three years. We just got married this past April. And she congratulations. Knew, thank you, thank you. And, and she knew this hunger. She she sees the vision, and she's been so supportive. And she was like, "I think it's time for you to 
to go for it. You know, I'll hold down the fort. Let's let's run with it. Not many people would start a business without, you know, clients landed or, or capital yet. But she's she's so confident in what God has placed in my heart. And it's gotten to the point where things really can't happen without full investment. You know, it's it's almost like a divided house one stand, having a divided so like you're gonna be bouncing back and forth. Are you in or are you out? I've been trying for five years to get something off the ground while working full time. And I'm an all or nothing individual. So when I'm working for someone or an organization, they're gonna get all of me. And so if I'm giving all of my all of myself to something else, but not to what God's going, at some point I had to make that decision of now's the, now's the time. And of course it's scary, of course it's uncertain, but I have to lean on the experience where I'm at and the confidence of that decision of now's the time to step into something new. Love it. And and kudos to your wife for supporting you. I love hearing that. I put down dichotomy of leadership, which is something that comes from Jocko Willink. And and it, you were you said one or two things that you're like eh, this, but that, this, but that, and and constantly qualifying. And I think that's that's one of the nuances of leadership is the the extremes are right in certain situations, but you you have to understand opposite ends of the spectrum. I'll use I'll use a quick one that came to mind is look before you leap. He who hesitates is lost. Well, look before you leap means, you know, do your due diligence and don't just jump right in. Yes. And he who hesitates is lost is like if you spend all your time doing due diligence, you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to seize the opportunity. So I, I wanna, you know, I wanna just point out the nuance of you know that language and and I, I want to relieve you of qualifying some of some of those statements because I think you know where where we've gotten off in a you know maybe in a society is the inability to respect the nuance of every situation. Right? Some situations call for an aggressive leader; others call for a a nurturing leader. So I. You and I share this passion for leadership, and and we were talking before we got on the show a little bit about, you know, your your end game, and and I mentioned the name John Maxwell, and I think we both have a deep respect for for him, and he is he is a gifted man who who I think balances a pastoral, religious, spiritual background, certainly a study of of leadership and psychology. And and human behavior, and also grounded in the in the world of politics and economics and business, because he's an advisor to to all of the above. So, what is it that you are you are hoping your platform allows you to do? If if you were Definitely. to give us the elevator pitch, and and somebody listening right now is like, hey, I like what he's talking about. I think I need what he's, what he's offering. What is it that you're offering outside of your book? Yes. So, you know, if we look at it from the leadership perspective, there's been a lot of focus on if someone wants to grow as a leader, they're thinking, okay, I, maybe I need to develop some talent, some traits or some skills, some competencies. Right. And I think that's all well and fine, but at the end of the day, and this is scriptural too, you know, you know, man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. I think when it comes to growing as a leader, it's all about looking at your heart, what's motivating you, what's driving you. Emotional intelligence helps that to an extent. But what I really want to dive into is the psychological, spiritual, and physical world and how that impacts the heart of a leader. 
not just, you know, can I manage my emotions, can I manage others' emotions, but addressing the question. Some people really self-worth. Some people know the, the emotional flaw within them that's holding them back to where they could be. You need to get to the root. Is there something spiritual going on? Is there something physical going on? What's holding you back? And I like to call it passional intelligence. And it's something I've been developing and I'm planning to do my research thesis on it next year as I'm, I'm in, in my master's program now too. But with that kind of problem that I want to look at, what that looks like long-term is, is it really comes down to coaching and leadership and teaching. I'm, I'm going through a course right now and, and the book is a masterful coaching by, I forget the last name, but amazing coaching book. And, and he talks a lot about some of these things that I'm referring to. You know, people could bring in consultants, for example, but, but it's, it's really a coach and leader working together, creating an impossible future. That's what the author of this book, Masterful Coaching, um, talks about. And that's what I really want to do. I, the, another way to put it is, you know, I played offensive lineman in, in, in high school football, and I took so much pride in that. And that's what I want to do as, as a leadership coach, a, a leadership speaker. I want to be the offensive leader for leaders. I don't need the attention. It doesn't matter to me. I want people to, be, to unlock their potential and be who they were created to be. Because I wrestle with that. And it's not fun to wrestle with that. When you know your potential, but there's so much going on in life, there's so much adversity in your way. How do you wrestle with that? How do you get overcome that? I want to be there in the corner with people so they could live out the, their destiny in life and just be there, help them remove those roadblocks, walk alongside them. That's ultimately what I, what I want to do as a leadership coach for other people is to truly serve them and teach them about the spectrum of leadership, like you said, BJ, because context is everything in these situations. Um, you know, it, you want to lean into your strengths. I think people don't lean into their strengths enough, right? There is sometimes you need to adapt. For example, I'm very much a democratic laissez-faire leader, but there's some instances where I need to pull out the autocrat side to be directive and give direction when it's needed. Kind of like the military. The military has a good directive leadership in the situation. There's a balance in all of this. And I want to help leaders learn that by learning about themselves deeply and realizing there's untapped potential within them. And it's all about how they're feeding their passion. Are there things in their life? that are adding toxin to their passion fire within, or there is there fuel in their life that's just breathing oxygen into the fire within them to really pursue and overcome more than what they've ever thought they could. I love it. I mean, we are in agreement that the world needs more leadership and healthy leadership, servant leadership. And we are also in agreement that that, Leadership development starts with developing your own leadership and 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 reflecting like you like you've talked about on you know why do I behave the way I am why are my motivations a certain way what is motivating me and and there's a lot of noise in the world to to navigate for all of us inspiring people in places is brought to you by MCFA MCFA is a CVE verified service disabled veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. I, I wish you luck. I can't wait to share your book. I'm going to move into some rapid fire questions, if you don't mind. Definitely. All right. Outside of your book, most recommended or most gifted book in your library? The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nate. That was a huge influence in my book. Okay. Dead or alive, if you could have dinner with three people, who would they be? Uh, it kind of depends when you ask me. There's a few names come coming to mind now. Of course, I'd love to say Jesus. 
which is one, but a couple, you know, at this, John Maxwell and, and Patrick Lencioni are two folks I'd love to have dinner with and talk. I don't know if you know Patrick Lencioni, but his work's amazing. Do I know Patrick Lencioni? Yes, <laughs> Patrick Lencioni. Here, here's, here's a one. There's, there's a book. This is for everybody. I've probably said this on a podcast before. There's a book, a leadership book called Greater Than Yourself, who is, which was written by, I think his name is Ken Farber. We'll, we'll fact check me afterwards. He wrote a book, Greater Than Yourself, Patrick Lencioni, while he's either reading this or, or listening to Ken Farber talk about Greater Than Yourself. And the whole concept is find somebody in your, in your world that you can bring along and make better than yourself. Turns out mm-hmm. the gentleman we were talking about before the show, Matthew Kelly, Matthew Kelly is Patrick Lencioni's Greater Than Yourself mentee, if you will. And, wow. and from all accounts, Matthew Kelly had stratospheric success after, after meeting Patrick Lencioni. So, wow. but I love, I love anything by Patrick Lencioni. Mm-hmm. All right. You gave, oh, say so you said Jesus, John Maxwell, and Patrick Lencioni. Patrick Lencioni. Yes. And speaking of Patrick Lencioni, that that'd be quite a dinner, right? It would be. <laughs> I want an invite. <laughs> For sure. Well, if I could add one more book. You can. The Five Dysfunctions. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Must read for everybody, for everyone in, in the corporate world, for sure. Yeah, agree. We got your dinner date. We got your book, or now books. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about favorite quotes. Yeah, favorite quote, it's uh, so many, but I'll just go with one Bible verse. For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A lot of depth there. There is. You're giving me a lot to... A lot to, we might have to do a part two after this one. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want on your tombstone? Yeah, I, it's so fun. I'm like thinking of John Wick 4 right now. I don't know if you've seen John Wick 4, but it's that's because on his tombstone, it said loving husband. You have amazed, totally recommend. But on, on his tombstone, if I remember correctly, it said loving husband. That is for sure one thing that's really important to me is, is my family, uh, my spouse. And, you know, I, I really believe in, in, being a leader in your home and leading your family first and foremost, that's above any other type of material success is just really being there for my family and, and leading them well, because that could impact generations to come. Aside from that, just someone just left it all out there, you know, that just, that just did tried their best day in and day out and didn't leave any stone unturned and just left it all out there. Kind of, if I could use a full expression, just leaving it all out there on the field. Someone that just loved their family and just gave life everything they possibly could. For the benefit of others, when I say it, it's really just trying leaving everything out there. I can to serve other people and help other people. I I think that comes <clears throat> comes through in everything you're talking about. That it is for others. That quote or that question was motivated by, I think I read it or heard it in a Stephen Covey interview. He talked about when Norman Schwarzkopf was asked that question, he very quickly was able to say that he wanted on his tombstone, a good man who loved his family and served his country. And I want everybody to hear the background of that because I don't know if I've ever talked about it before on the show, but like, that's what motivated me was for that question is like, that's somebody who's been leading men in, in the military, men and women. He, he certainly led us in desert storm and, and didn't know what was going to happen in that war, but he was so quick to know exactly what his 
life was about. And it was about service to others, his family and his country. And I think that's what leadership is, is service to others. And I think to your point, points earlier, if we don't evaluate that and evaluate our own heart and our own motivations as leaders, we can get influenced by things other than serving others in our leadership journey. And we start serving the wrong masters. But if we're constantly trying to, to improve and, and evaluate ourselves, we are that much healthier in leading others. So I'm, I'm going to let you close us out. You are from our industry. You've been in our industry. You've seen all sorts of leaders in our industry. I'm, I'm proud of you to know you, excited for you and your future, want to be helpful to you. Talk to our audience about kind of your, your parting advice for them and any, anywhere that they can get in touch with you or find you, if, if you will. For sure. Yeah, and I'll, I'll answer specifically to the construction industry, the AEC industry, which, you know, even though I'm not directly in it, I still feel like I am because I want to help people in the industry, in the AEC industry, and it's, it's near and dear to my heart. And a lot of the journey I've been on all stems from the, the amazing people I've met in the industry, the projects I've been a part of. But I think the biggest thing I'd leave is, you know, when it comes to building a building or any project, there's so many people involved in that project whether it's subcontractors, general contractors, the owner, the vendors, where you're getting your products from, you're going to interact with people on a daily basis. And no project happens without people. And I think it's so important. It can be so hard to prioritize the heart of people when you're looking at a deadline, when you're looking at adversity and struggle. But I think if there's one thing that could take the construction industry to the next level, it's empathy, it's compassion, and it's servant leadership. How do I serve my subcontractors as a general contractor? How do I mentor this 22-year-old that's looking at life's greatest questions? How do I mentor them in their career, but also personally? You know, how do I build a relationship with the subcontractor or this vendor so we have trust and we respect each other? It's not just about the job, but everyone's a human being. And I think there's this level of compassion and empathy that's needed. Because if you have a healthy team dynamic, a healthy site, product site, I could guarantee you the deadline is going to be crushed because that's what it really comes down to. So, so my, my advice is to people and people have heard this before people are battling battles. You don't know anything about if you would just sit down and just listen and hear about the toughest things people are going with, you would probably make you emotional because everyone's dealing with something. I think people should be mindful of that and always be striving to build people up, not tear people down. And that's why I like to say, build up the passion in other people by always inspiring them, always encouraging them and always empowering them. And if I could just, Go off on that for one second. What it means to really inspire someone is to put positive thoughts in their mind, share a vision with them of what the future looks like. And when I say encourage someone, I mean, give them hope, give, help them overcome the adversity, what's going on. Be an encourager. And when I say be an empower, make sure someone has the tools and resources that they need to be successful. So that's just a, a little bit of, of what it means to me to really lead someone, to be a mentor to someone, to coach someone. It's inspiring, encouraging, and empowering. And you know, I'd love to connect with you. My email is steven at passionwithpurpose.org, or you can go to my website, passionwithpurpose.org. That's relaunching September 7th. But if you go to the website now, you can put your, your information in and get updated when the website's launched. I'm here to serve you as a coach, as a speaker, or however it might be, because I really want to help you unlock your potential in your life so that you could unlock the potential in other people around you. Awesome, Steven. Thank you so much for your time. 
inspiring people in places is all about breathing life into people. And you certainly did that today. So thanks for your time. And we will be sure to put all of Stephen's information in the show notes. Until next time, have a great week and a great weekend. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People in Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.